Matt Rule proved he's officially one of us while speaking to the media earlier. We'll play that sound for you shortly, but let me get to this first. When the AP preseason poll was released yesterday, I told you, don't put any stock into it. Unless you're talking about one of the smaller schools like Coastal or Louisiana, who I believe some positive pub can actually do some good for. It's not really meaningful. For the last three seasons, at least four teams ranked in the preseason poll finished the regular season 500 or worse. Meaning, they weren't even close to the top 25. And in 2021, I think one of those teams is going to be from the ACC, and it's the Miami Hurricanes. I see Miami being a 6-6 six and six football team this year. 7-5 and five being the ceiling, and here's why. North Carolina exposed them at the end of the year. They were at home, and they allowed a team to drop 62 on them. That game was never close. We all saw it. And it really put into question just how good Miami was really the entire year. They only beat one ranked team or a team that was ranked when they played them. That's the Louisville Cardinals. Louisville didn't finish up that great. Miami beat them earlier on in the season. They probably should have lost games to NC State on that Friday night. I think that was on Halloween last year. Virginia Tech, that was another game. They were very close to losing. They got drilled by Clemson. That was the only ranked team, the only team they played that finished up ranked at the end of the year, other than the North Carolina team that also pile-drived them. I still have doubts about Miami's talent. It's not often I say that about the Hurricanes. That talent is a concern. But it is. When you're trying to replace De'Eric King's top target in Brevin Jordan. Will Mallory's supposed to be pretty good, but I feel pretty comfortable saying he's not Brevin Jordan. At least he's not going to be it this fall. Last year, they did a nice job patching some of the holes left by Gregory Rousseau, who opted out a first-round defensive end. The reason they were able to do that was because they had Quincy Roche, who transferred in from Temple. They had Jalen Phillips, who also ended up being a first-round pick. Both those guys are gone. So the D-line has been decimated. On the O-line, they lose some guys, too. Plus, let's not forget, the last time we saw Miami, Dierick had a pretty bad injury. Some quarterbacks don't come back 100% after that. So I have concerns about the talent. I had concerns about where they finished up because of who they played last year in 2020 being just a weird season. Then I take a look at the schedule, and it's just brutal. Let's look at some of these games here. Just the first three that Miami plays. You tell me where the wins are. Number one, Alabama. Appalachian State. Michigan State. Those are the first three. Appalachian State has a shot, considering Miami lost its entire D-line. They really do. They're not going to beat Alabama, of course. Michigan State, that's not going to be easy. Then when you look at what the ACC gave them, 
the teams that they normally play, the toughest games are on the road. You have to go to Pittsburgh. You got to go to North Carolina. You got to go to Tallahassee. And then your cross division opponent is NC State. Yikes. The schedule is brutal for Miami. So look at the Bay people. They're the third ACC team ranked in the poll. Clemson third, North Carolina 10th, Miami coming in at 14th. Enjoy seeing that for now because I don't think Miami is a team that's going to finish close to the top 25 at the end of the year. I see Miami as a 6-6 six and six football team, maybe 7-5. and five. The Panthers, as I mentioned, opened up joint practices with the Baltimore Ravens, or they're set to do so starting tomorrow morning at 8.45. Your thoughts welcome on the show, 336-777-1600 being the number. We are on Twitter at WSJS Sports if you want to chime in that way. And there are three areas I think you need to focus in on if you're a Panthers fan wanting to extrapolate something from the joint practices and preseason game number two, which is at 7 o'clock at Bank of America Stadium. Three areas of focus, starting with, this is Matt Rule talking about the Panthers' offensive line. Um, You know, I I still think, I don't think it's much about that. I mean, I think we feel good about our starting five. You know, two, three more guys there uh, that we feel good about. Um, But we're a work in progress, you know, we're we're, a... we're, we're like I-85 on the way down here. We're under construction, you know. So we've got we've got uh, we've got some work to do. And what we really need is we need some, you know, we, we need some of our young players to come along, you know. And I thought uh, we saw some of that from some guys the other night. <laughs> it's like I-85, Sawyer Dylan. So Matt Rule, he knows the deal. He he's officially one of us now. He knows he's just dropping. I-85 references talking about the offensive line being under construction. He mentioned earlier today that Cam Irving is the starting left tackle when he's healthy. Last week he was dealing with an injury at the start of joint practices with the Colts. All the Panthers starters didn't play on Sunday. And it's understandable when you're talking about three games in 12 days too. The second string left tackle though, pretty interesting. Taylor Moten listed as the second-string guy. This is according to Matt Rule. So there's no confidence there in Trent Scott to be the number two, which is telling, even though he did some good things last year. Greg Little was just traded to the Miami Dolphins today, so the Greg Little bust disaster is over. The Greg Little era that started with the Panthers trading up to take him in the second round, that's finished. There are some questions on the O-line. When I think about the Baltimore Ravens, I think about a team that is always strong defensively, and it's that front seven that generally gives you issues, even though, kind of like I-85, it's an area of reconstruction this year. I always trust Wink Martindale, good coordinators, to figure things out and to scheme up things to be pretty difficult. They're going to have to replace Matthew Judon who was banged up in the Patriots' first preseason game last week. Yannick Ngakwe, he walked during free agency. So Wink is going to have to do some more work to scheme up some pressure. But the Ravens have a ton of talent. 
Calais Campbell, he's still around. Derek Wolf, you might remember him. He was the DN for the Broncos during the Panthers Super Bowl. He's a Baltimore Raven. So much talent still on this defensive side. It's going to be a test for the Panthers O-line. It's harder to evaluate the O-line when you're not tackling to the ground. It's not live. That's why you kind of need the preseason for that. Especially when you're talking about coordination and communication and timing. Important things for quarterbacks and O-linemen. The O-line, we're going to learn some things this week. That is an area of focus for these joint practices and preseason game number two. As is wide receivers versus this Ravens secondary. The Ravens secondary is loaded. That might be the strength of this team. You're talking about Marcus Peters and Tavon Young. Apparently Marlon Humphrey strained a hammy earlier today, or it was a calf. So I don't know if he's going to be participating much this week, but that's a very real thing. If you're talking about what's easy to evaluate, it's these one-on-one matchups where you've got Terrace Marshall Jr., the second-round pick, going up against a Ravens defensive back. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, seeing who's good is better because the receivers are clearly a strength for Carolina, and the DBs, the secondary as a whole, a strength for the Baltimore Ravens. That could be telling about the Panthers' wideout, some of these new guys, Terrace, David Moore, maybe trying to iron out some of these final position position battles. Shai Smith, the rookie out of South Carolina, going up against Brandon Zilstra, who was involved in the first preseason game quite a bit. And hopefully we get Keith Kirkwood back on the field after he was taken off in an ambulance a few weeks ago in concussion protocol. That's another key area. And the last area would be the run defense. The Panthers, they really showed me something with the pass rush a week ago. That's the area we centered on talking about the Colts. When I think about the Colts, it's bruisers up front. They coach it well. It's their identity. So even though Quentin Nelson was out, you still were going to learn something about the Panthers' pressure. I think Carolina's going to be a top-10 defense this year. And one of the reasons I think they're going to get there, the pass rush is going to be greatly improved. One of the most improved units across the NFL. You have Brian Burns on one side, who was in the lineup intermittently, probably not as as much as Matt Rule and Phil Snow would have liked. You add Hassan Reddick to the other side, though, that's a huge deal. You drafted Derrick Brown in the top 10. He's going into his second year. Etor Grossmatos, he got home quite a bit in the preseason game. Marquise Haynes, he was the best player in the Carolina Panthers uniform in preseason game number one. That's a huge deal. Daquan Jones, consistently on the field, durable. He's going to be there for you. He's reliable. They haven't had that with KK Short in the middle of the defensive line. So last week, it was pass rush that I was concerned about. And I was impressed with what Carolina had in the joint practices and even in the preseason game. This week, it is run-stopping. The Baltimore Ravens, they do it just as well as anybody in the league. Better than anybody in the league, probably short of San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan always seems to run the ball better than everybody. But Baltimore, that's what they do. 
It's Lamar Jackson. It's J.K. Dobbins. They built an offense around power run game. How's Carolina going to handle that? Will Derrick Brown be able to get the same push? Will Daquan Jones be able to clog those lanes? Who's better in run D, Morgan Fox or Etor? I don't know the answer to those questions. The run defense is the focus for Carolina defensively this week. In addition to the offensive line and wide receivers on the offensive side. There's a lot to learn. That's why you play a team that's really good. Matt Rule sees value in that. In fact, this is Rule talking about that yesterday when he was meeting with reporters, talking just about facing the Baltimore Ravens, seeing value in it. This is that clip of Coach Rule talking about scheduling the Ravens. We brought the Ravens in. Uh, you know, we, we we agreed to this because of, of who they are, the physical team that they are, the the mentality they have, the winning culture that they have, the great defense that they have, the you know Lamar Jackson, all the special players that they have. So, um, you know that that in and of itself is uh, a challenge and why we did this. You know, we didn't. Both teams that we picked are really good teams. You know, <laughs> so we wanted we wanted to have a chance to match up. Well said. That's Matt Rule getting set for. The Ravens, tomorrow, and Spartanburg. You are listening to WSGS Winston-Salem in Greensboro, WPCM Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up WSJS Sports. In 30 minutes, so I think Miami is an AP preseason fraud. I think there are three other teams that check that box, too. I'll tell you who they are in about 30 minutes. If you're interested in Vegas unders, they might be a team to keep close eyes on before the season starts. The Carolina Panthers had their first series of cuts today. We'll talk about that in just a bit, but first we're being joined by the head coach of the ECU Pirates, Mike Houston, kind enough to be here. And I tease this on the way in, Coach, that you... And Roy Williams actually have an interesting tie with one another that the first time you were a head coach at any level was at T.C. Roberson High School, which, of course, is the same place Roy Williams played his high school basketball. How much Roy Williams memorabilia would I find there if I went there today? Uh, Quite a bit at T.C. So, uh, you know, certainly Coach Williams had an incredible career, and, uh, you know, he's – he still, you know, has a house in the Asheville area, and uh, I think that he kind of calls that home. So, Yeah, I'd imagine we'd see quite a bit there. Uh, I love this headline today. I wanted to get your reaction to a couple of things. A local Greenville business I saw purchased the remaining 6,000 tickets for ECU's home opener against South Carolina on September the 11th which means you're going to be looking at a big crowd. I'm expecting to be there as well. Yeah. I'm an ECU alum. Given that news and also that being the first normal-looking home game in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium since 2019, what do you imagine it's going to look like when the Gamecocks come to town? Well, I think it's, it's going to be just a special atmosphere. It's, it's going to be what uh, you know everyone around ECU athletics and ECU football, um, you know what they love. Uh, it's... It's uh, one of the things that uh, I can remember from you know way back when when I was younger in the state and 
uh, you know, in, in East Carolina back in the 90s, uh, just had such a passionate following, uh, and same thing carrying on to the 2000s. And so, um, you know, really appreciate uh, the Clark family uh, and uh, Bill Clark Holmes for, you know, stepping up and doing that. And uh, I think it's a great cause, too. You know, the tickets are going to go to uh, medical personnel, the first responders, um, you know, military, uh, local police, uh, firefighters, uh, you, know, you know, that group that has done, you know, so much over the last 18 months uh, as we were going through and, and hopefully coming out of the, the pandemic. So, ECU coach Mike Houston with us here on WSJS Sports. I'm looking at some of the things you've been tweeting lately. At ECU coach Houston, he's a good follow there. Uh, you were tweeting quite a bit about the late Bobby Bowden who died last week and was laid the rest over the weekend. Did you ever cross paths with Coach Bowden? Yeah, I, I, ironically, when I was a, a college player, um, I worked in a camp one summer that uh, he was at. Uh, it was a, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp up in Black Mountain. And I got a chance to meet him then. Uh, and then later on, when I was coaching at Lenore Rhine, uh, he was in he was in Hickory to speak there and got an opportunity to spend some time with him uh, then and so uh, you know had had two opportunities to spend some time with him and you know everybody in the coaching profession I mean he's one of the legends and so just uh, a very genuine person and someone that uh, you know achieved so many significant uh, uh, feats uh, in the coaching profession but always did it uh, in a first class manner so you know. Sad to see him pass, but, uh, you know, just what a, what a career, what a life uh, legacy he leaves behind. I hear a lot about his sense of humor. I know you have a strong sense of humor. We've talked about Chappelle's show before. Uh, tell me about his sense of humor. Anything stick out? Well, you know, he had, yeah, I guess some people call it a, a folksy sense of humor. Uh, you know, he's just, uh, you know, very uh, very down-to-earth, laid-back guy. So most, most of his... Uh, most of his jokes and stuff were, you know, taking he'd take cracks himself, or, or just, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just country humor, I would call it. So, but uh, yeah, he was always pretty, uh, pretty witty. This year marks the first of four games in an Appalachian State series that was agreed to a few years back. See, as I mentioned to you, I'm an ECU grad, and to me, what makes Greenville very special is very similar to what makes. Uh, Boone, North Carolina, special in that it is a college football town. Most of these colleges right. we have in the state, college basketball comes first. Not in Greenville, not in Boone. It feels like to me this should be a series that's played almost every year. Sean Clark, we asked him about it a few weeks ago. He agreed with that. What do you think about an App State ECU series in the future? Well, I think it's a great matchup. You know, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, at, uh, at both of our institutions. Uh, you know, we're football schools, and uh, you, you think of, I think of Appalachian State, you know, obviously I grew up in that, that part of the state, and so I think about a passionate fan base, uh, and, you know, here in Greenville, uh, East Carolina University, we have a very passionate fan base, um, and I think, uh, I think it should be a great rivalry. It's in-state. I'm always in favor of playing in-state uh, universities, so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, we're excited about the matchup. You know, they're a, a quality program. Um, you know, I, I knew Coach Moore, know Coach Moore very well. He and Margaret, uh, they're friends of Amanda and I. Uh, and, you know, just what he did there, and then it's just continued on. And, and Coach Clark has done a, a great job. He had a, a, a solid uh, team last year. They had a, 
you know, great season. You know, played real well in the bowl game, and you know, they're they're all back. And uh, you know, he's got a, a bunch of the uh, super seniors that are you know guys that this is their fifth. There's some of them sixth year uh, playing college football, and they're very very experienced and they're very very good. So it's going to be a a very challenging matchup for us, but uh, it's a series that we're really excited about. Boy, your schedule does look difficult. How important do you believe this first game is for setting the tone? Because I could also say the same thing about Appalachian State, too. Well, I think it's a big game for both of us. And I think, you know, especially, you know, I think for us, because just, you know, coming in, you know, I was hired here to, you know, get the program, you know, turned around. And, uh, you know, it's, this is, this is a group that's, they're young, but, uh, you know, but they're ours. And, uh, you know, these are kids that we recruited and, and brought here and we're excited about them. Uh, you know, uh, you can't speed up for the time. So, you know, you, you, you got to kind of go through the experience process, but, um, you know, we're a much different roster than the one that I inherited in 2019. Excited to watch it coach. I really am. And, I appreciate you spending the time with us here in the triad. The triad, I know, means a lot to you. This used to be your stomping grounds once upon a time. Yeah, we and, and we recruit it heavily. You know, it's uh, an important area for us. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, loyal pirates down there in that area. So appreciate you giving the opportunity to be on. See you in a few weeks. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thanks a lot. Go Pirates. Stop banana till the morning come. Carolina Panthers legend, Jake DeLome, kind enough to join us now on WSJS Sports. I want to talk to you about a handful of things, but since the Panthers are starting joint practices with the Baltimore Ravens in Spartanburg tomorrow, back when you played, did they have many of these joint practices? You had, I didn't do many, I don't know if I did any uh, in Carolina. I know when I was with the New Orleans Saints, we would go to Jacksonville and practice for a couple of days um, against the Jaguars. And um, But I don't think we ever did that in Carolina. And whenever I was with the Saints also, when we'd go to Lacrosse, Wisconsin, uh, the Cheese League, as they would call it, the Bears <laughs> were up there, Kansas City Chiefs were up there. Um, and obviously the Packers, um, and it would kind of rotate. And I do remember going against the Chiefs and the uh, um, and the Bears in those type of situations, but never you, in Carolina. Yeah. What do you think about the the joint practices versus say preseason games? Because there's an argument to be made, given how controlled they are and how minimal you see injuries in these versus preseason games coaches might get more value out of them oh i love them i mean i think it's great i know two years ago um i went to spartanburg and watched the buffalo bills when they came in uh for a few days prior to a preseason game and um was able to watch two days of practices and i i love that i know as a player i enjoyed the ones i did when I was with the Saints, but I just think you can get great work and it can be specialized. You can have a period of strictly red zone, a period of, of third down um, and things of that nature and work on uh, two minute situations where you're not necessarily certain you're going to accomplish that during the course of a preseason game. 
And it seems what I've read about the Panthers last week uh, against Indianapolis, if there was 60 plays, it sounded like 55. The, the ones took part in those repetitions. And you just can't replicate that. I, I just think instead of playing 20 to 25 plays in a preseason game, um, yes, with live tackling, you're going in a third type of environment, which is very similar, but you're getting so many more plays. I, I just think it's great. Jake DeLome's with us here on WSJS Sports. It seems that there might be like a generational gap between some of the younger coaches and older coaches with how they approach playing starters in preseason games. You see Belichick and you see Tomlin playing older guys while Sean McVay leads the league in bench starters with 40 and Matt Rule not too far behind benching 33 this past week. From a quarterback's perspective, given you're talking about chemistry with receivers and timing and communication and trying to figure out the symmetry there, is it important for Darnold to play in preseason games? Um, I, I'm just speaking for myself. I know I liked it um, just for a possibility of getting the, the, the hitting aspect. You can stand in the pocket all you want, but when you have a red jersey on, knowing you're not going to get hit, um, it's a, just a little bit different uh, than in a game when you have to stand in that pocket, uh, even though it's a preseason game. And I, I, for some reason, I liked it. That was just felt more comfortable <laughs> to me because I always felt, and maybe maybe call this crazy, I always felt week one was one of the faster weeks in the league. You know, people talk about the playoffs and how it ramps up. Well, yeah, it, it does ramp up because the best teams are in the playoffs. But week one everybody's healthy and, 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 and really and truly is everybody ready to play. I'm not so sure about that, but everybody's healthy. So the speed of the game I always found in week one was, a, was just kind of was really amped up. And, and that's why I like playing in the preseason and kind of making sure you get a hit uh, on you or just making sure you, you seeing it very well, knowing that you're all a live target. We, we know coach, we know you're your coach has their own philosophy. We know you're that fiery guy. We saw it all those years in Charlotte, but I I would have not pegged you. Maybe I'm just being naive, not thinking this uh, for being a guy who likes getting hit. Like that doesn't surprise me now that you're a guy that might like taking a hit every now and then. Well, I just think it. it I mean, listen, you have to be be realistic that you know <laughs> practice. You can get a lot done in practice. But knowing that you have the red jersey on, you really and truly, you're not going to get hit. It's just different. It's very different. And in a game, I just always felt getting that taste of action, um, always to me, felt like it got me ready. Take the loan with us here on WSGS Sports. Uh, we caught up with Wake quarterback Sam Hartman, who's a Charlottean, over the weekend about you know being a part of the Manning Passing Academy and he didn't want to talk much about Peyton and Eli. He wanted to talk about seeing Jake DeLome down here. Here's a piece of what Sam had to say to us. Um, I mean, I think it's more just watching him growing up. You know, I introduced myself, talked to him a little bit, but um, it's more growing up, you know, him being a, a Panther, um, you know, growing up in Charlotte. You know, he was always like him and Steve Smith, you know, throwing the deep ball. Um, I know that, you know, he was he – was, he could throw one. He could throw the ball a mile, and, and that ball went up and, and came right down on C. Smith's head every time. So I mean, I always grew up just more of a more of a fan and and uh, idolization of, of his game and you know his kind of just gunslinger mentality. 
And I don't know if you know this, Jake, but last year, Sam, he, the entire regular season, had one interception uh, during the year. And then he played in the Bank of America Stadium, a bowl game against Wisconsin. He had four picks in that game, and Wake Forest lost it, ending a bowl streak that they had. He said one of the things he thought of was you in the Arizona game, and he talked to Eli and Peyton about that because who else in the building can he talk to who's had live rets and had that experience? Anything stand out to you when you talk to Sam? Well, the disappointing thing for me is that I was only able to go for one afternoon evening to the Manning camp this year because I had some other – uh, engagements and the part that I wanted to see when the kids have an air it out competition on the Saturday evening where the college kids kind of show off a little bit and throw the lightning and thunder for about three hours canceled it so I was so disappointed so I didn't get to truly spend as much time as normal with the kids but certainly did enjoy speaking with him it was a it was a short period of time later the Saturday night we had a little function uh, but not enough time that's the thing that bothers me and I think the biggest thing he needs to take away from the bowl game is that it's okay. I mean, you're gonna if you have a bad day, you have a bad day. I mean, I'm sure he prepared as as well as possible. It just wasn't meant to be. I mean, you just work your tail off to come back and and play. I mean, I know for myself, watching a playoff game one time, uh, I watched Brett Favre throw five or six interceptions against the Rams, and came back the next year like nothing. You know, it's just something that you're going to happen. If you plan not to make a critical mistake and not plan to win, then you're not doing your team any good. Take the loan with us here. I want to get a Julius Pepper story out of you on the way out because he was at the North Carolina Hall of Fame ceremony uh, earlier this summer. I, David Garrard's a good friend of mine, and I remember one time he told me in a Pro Bowl that – Julius Peppers beat somebody so badly. Actually, this was in the regular season. Beat a guy so badly that his left tackle turned around and yelled, Dave, watch out! And also in a bowl, I think it was the Pro Bowl, Julius Peppers wrapped Dave Garrard around the chest and was about to take him down. Garrard tried to whittle away, and uh, (laughs) Peppers just said under his breath, Go down, man. And David Garrard followed the advice there. When you were practicing against JP and playing against him, any great stories stick out about the type of athlete he was? Well, I, everything you're saying is true. I mean, that that's typical Julius. Uh, I promise you, he had <laughs> he was just holding Dave and was like, "Okay, that's enough. Don't try to let go. Don't try to get away." Um, I just think you marveled at his size, uh, strength, athleticism. That, and I don't want to say we took it for granted. But when you saw it every day, I think you kind of became used to it. But we were running a screen one time in Spartanburg, and I remember to drop back and your eyes down the field and your eyeball on the linebacker kind of shoulder shrug and then retreat back. And sure enough, you know, Jordan Gross is right there in front of uh, Julius engaging him. And I threw the ball up and over, and it was going to Deshaun Foster. And Julius, as he's being engaged by Jordan, jumps up sticks one hand up with his left hand and kind of like catches the cone of the ball. <laughs> and he's 10 and a half feet, whatever he is in the air, catches it with one hand and takes off the other way. And I remember looking and John Fox just looked at me and he had the whistle in his mouth. He shook his head and laughed and he said, thank God he's on our team. And we just <laughs> laughed about it because it was just Julius Peppers. I mean, like there was 
Nothing you can do about that. A freak player uh, who made a freaky play, who we just saw those things over and over again. I mean, he ran down Michael Pittman Sr. Um, in Bank of America Stadium against the Tampa when we were playing against Tampa. He ran him completely down. This is a starting running back in the National Football League. So he was just a freak athlete that I think, I truly believe uh, many, many people took for granted uh, and expected him to do uh, come out with a cape every single game. I've covered football for a while. The one thing that us in the media will never understand is what it sounds like in that pocket. So any opportunity we get to hear whether or not a left tackle when he gets beat yells for the quarterback to look out or if and learning what defensive linemen might say when they get their whole their hands on a quarterback i'm all ears for stuff like that jake well i will tell you this i've had that happen numerous numerous times in a game uh with the left tackle give you the lookout block uh i can't really say i've ever heard jordan gross say it but we had one in the superdome with todd fordham um who played 10 years in the league and Todd was our sixth man, and we had had some injury issues, and uh, Todd was at left tackle. And sure enough, I got the lookout block, and I was able to throw a pass to Chris Mangum and complete it. But I, as I was starting to cock back to throw, I, I heard, you know, and it's it's almost like in slow motion, look out, Jake! And I <laughs> threw it as I was throwing. I just got hit. And we completed it, and Todd was right there to pick me up. And he was a, you know, Tifton, Georgia, big kind of country twang. And he just looked at me and he said, "Good thing you heard me, boy." And he picked me up off the ground. So those are those are things you always certainly remember about in the game. Yeah, your uh, your southern accent, your impression of it, it's it's right on par with Jordan Gross doing his Brad Hoover impression, who's from High Point. <laughs> well, Brad Hoover. Uh, I know I would get teased a great deal with my accent, but certainly Brad Hoover was the uh, was main, the main guy that would kind of get teased by everybody in the locker room yeah. with his accent. There's the, no the, doubt. The pride of Western Carolina. Okay, Jake, I know your Raging Cajuns are really good this year. Best of luck to them, the Panthers, and also to the horses as well. Good luck with all of that. We appreciate you spending the time in the triad today. All right. Thank you, Josh. Have a great day. LaMelo Ball got the GQ treatment earlier today. Tyler R. Tynes wrote a story titled Generation LaMelo. As far as I can remember, I think he might be the first independent journalist sitting down with LaMelo, being in the same room as LaMelo. Local media has not been able to catch him in person, we haven't been in the same room with the guy since he was drafted way back last November. Lots happened since then. And it was a really good story. A lot of details featured in it. And my biggest takeaway from it, LaMelo reminds me of a young Cam Newton. When LaMelo was drafted, the day after, I had doubts that LaMelo would be able to instantly have the impact that he's fortunately for Charlotte, enjoyed becoming a star, becoming the NBA's Rookie of the Year. I didn't think he could do that. He surpassed my expectation. But I do remember saying that day, the hype surrounding LaMelo, 
was only comparable to one thing in this state, and that was drafting Cam Newton back in 2011. That's the only historical point I can link the two. The only reference point. That wasn't to say LaMelo's going to be as big as Cam was. That isn't to say he's going to be an MVP in the league like Cam was in 2015. But there were similarities. Kimball Walker is an unbelievable player, was an unbelievable player in Charlotte, maybe the greatest Hornet ever. But he didn't really attract eyeballs. We've seen that kind of player before. He was special, but he was not a phenom. LaMelo's a phenom. LaMelo's iconic, just like Cam was iconic. That goes beyond sports. Both these guys are handsome. They're into fashion. That's why GQ's writing about them. Social media presence. So much these guys have in common in that regard. You've got people swarming to be around them. It's put Charlotte sports on the map in a way that's only comparable to the way Cam Newton put the Panthers on the map. But the reason I was reminded of young Cam with this story is just how much of a big kid LaMelo is. The story talks about what's apparently a TikTok reference. He constantly uses the word sheesh. It almost can be used in any instance. Doesn't really have a proper context. He just drops sheesh wherever he goes. LaMelo is 19 years old. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. He's showing up late to meetings. Apparently that's a LaMelo thing. He's going to show up late to things. He's 19 years old. Very young. But he's a big kid that has a great heart. That is jovial, he's fun, has a great personality. That's different than his other two brothers. Lonzo was kind of dull, boring, introverted, quiet, and there's nothing wrong with that. LaMelo's just different. LaMelo had every excuse not to be this way. Criticized by guys like Josh Graham before he played an NBA game. His dad brought expectations and criticism he never asked for when he was 15 years old. He had to play overseas, or he decided to play overseas, in Lithuania and in Australia. He did that, and I can't imagine how rough that might have been. His rookie year, he had to deal with COVID. So there are so many reasons why LaMelo might have the fun, this liveliness, zapped out of him at a young age. It reminds me of Cam. Cam had college scandals, plural. The laptop situation at Florida, the stuff with his dad at Auburn, doubted for sure on his way to winning a national title and being a Heisman Trophy winner. A household name like LaMelo, the moment he stepped into the Panthers building. But as we learned, Cam was always this fun-loving kid. Running around, supporting his teammates, dabbing, you name it. They have a similar energy to them. And one of the reasons why they're both iconic, they're both unique talents. We've never seen a Cam Newton before or since. 
nothing like him. His size, his threat in the red zone, what he's able to do when he's healthy, when he's right. And this struck me when we were talking to James Borrego about Melo, that in the NBA, the experts they're telling you, there's nobody in the league quite like LaMelo. He's different. That doesn't mean better than everybody else. It's just different. Same kind of with Zion. Doesn't mean he's the best guy, but he's different. And because he's different, he gives you a chance. You're going to be relevant. You're going to be interesting. People are going to follow what you do. 336-777-1600 if you want in on the show. Read the story. Generation LaMelo. The reason why I bring up the artist Tyler R. Tynes is because Tyler was the one that did the long feature story on Cam Newton, the feature podcast, I should say, that was really good, the Cam Chronicles, for the ringer. So he knows the subject matter very well as he wrote this line that comes from a quote James Borrego told him while they were in the office together, in JB's office. He asked how he believed LaMelo can transform the Hornets' fortunes in the future. Tyler asking JB. In the story, he said, quote, he has the potential to lead that charge more than anyone we've seen in this city in a long time. If LaMelo ever surpasses what Cam was in his prime in Charlotte, look out. 336-777-1600. Let's go to the phones here. Who am I talking to real quick, Sawyer? Who, who am I speaking to right now? We're talking about Appalachian State. This is uh, Will Shaw from uh, Jonesville, and uh, I was just going to get your thoughts on Chase Bryce transferring in from Clemson slash Duke. And I mean, he didn't have a good year last year for Duke whatsoever. Do you Let me ask you a question down? before I answer that question. You're an App State fan, yes, I assume? Right, yes, I'm a graduate. Yeah, we had uh, ECU football coach Mike Houston join us, and if you missed that, it's going to be on our replay. It's going to be on the podcast. I asked him Uh about ECU playing App State. That's going to be the opener in a few weeks. It's a game I think should happen every year. As an App fan, would that be something you're in favor of? Right, kind of. I mean, it's two of, I guess you could say, uh, east-west powerhouse teams i guess non-acc so right yeah I, I i wouldn't mind it okay well i appreciate that i just needed to get a little bit of a sample thank you so much for the phone call here's what i got on chase price i have no idea he he had a big time completion at clemson when it was fourth and six when trevor went down in his first start against syracuse and then he goes to duke and Things didn't really go well at Duke. I think towards the end of the year he got benched. I have no idea. He's going to have great weapons that surround him. <laughs> you got Cameron People still back in that backfield, and you got Hennigan that you're throwing the ball to out wide. You've got players. I think Sutton might be coming back too. I don't know that for sure. Chase Bryce, he's got weapons. It, it's going to be a different kind of schedule. That is the, the primary question. If they beat ECU and Chase Bryce has a good year, You might be talking about a 10-win season for Rapp after winning nine last year. Thank you so much for the phone call. Appreciate that. Getting back to the Carolina Panthers, though. I do think Sam Darnold 
has an opportunity to win over Panther fans this week. I said last week, I'm not big on preseason games when it comes to judging quarterbacks who already have the starting job locked up. But fans don't think the same way media do. Media does. They're a little bit more passionate. They want to see things sooner rather than later. I'm not going to evaluate what Sam is or isn't until the first game against the Jets. Sam Darnold can win over Panther fans, I think, to a degree this week. They're mad because they saw Justin Fields perform the way he did against the Dolphins, and they're wondering why Carolina passed on Fields at number eight in favor of Sam. The Baltimore Ravens, their strength is the defense. Carolina's going to be going head-to-head with that defense the next two days, and then preseason game number two, if Sam plays in it, there's an opportunity there to show what you got against one of the best DCs in the world in Wink Martindale. He'll be in front of fans competing against an opponent that isn't the Carolina Panthers for the first time. Last week they were in Indianapolis. So Baltimore's going to be in Spartanburg. Fans are going to be out there. They get to see what Sam can do against a pretty damn good defense. And I think he should play this week. I think it could do him some good to play. Coordination, communication, timing, chemistry, those are things you have to get down on the field. Now, he doesn't have to play a lot. I think if he plays the first quarter, that would do him some good. I think he should play Saturday night. It's different than defensive backs or linebackers or D-linemen where you just beat the guy in front of you. All those things I mentioned, quarterbacks have to get down. Let's go to another App State fan. Our guy, Mountaineer John in Winston-Salem, once in on the App State ECU series. See, you're an App guy. I went to East Carolina. What do you think of the series? Well, first off, they should play it every year, and they should play it in Charlotte every year. And Appalachian is going to flat wear them out this year, just like I told you at Academy Sports that day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But next year might be a different story, wait. but this year. Oh, come on. Like, you don't want it in Charlotte. Like, don't you want to play one game in the Rock and then go to Greenville? Like, those are both great college towns. Yeah, but Greenville's ECU uh-uh. stadium's horrible. Stop it. To, and it, there is no parking. Wait, wait, when's the last time? When's the last time you went to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium? Uh, 2005. Sorry. Okay, well. Do, go to the game. The, I think they're going to play at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium the next few years. They've got this new town bank center, and they have parking that surrounds it now. It's a lot better. It's gotten a lot better in the last dozen years than where it was in 2005. So give it another shot, Mountaineer John. I'll think about it. All right. Well, I appreciate the call in the meantime. I was worried what he might say next. Sorry to cut you off, Mountaineer John. When you were talking about my Pirates getting worn out. That's going to be such a great game. Oh, that's going to be such a great game. We are, Sawyer, we are 16 days away from ECU at State in Charlotte. Can not wait. Speaking of college football, there are four teams ranked in the AP Top 25 that was dropped yesterday that I think are frauds and could have losing records by the end of the year. I'll reveal who those four are next.
past? I just complain about the AP Top 25, the preseason poll. Say it doesn't mean anything, shouting into a void. But that's not very productive because that's not great content when it's repetitive and everybody else is doing it online and reminding you of the same thing. So a few years ago, I started bringing up empirical data that backs up what I'm saying. How many teams that are picked in the preseason top 25 that turn out not to be any good by the end of the season? And started to make some picks. Project who that might be, whom those teams might be for the coming fall. Today is that day. Sawyer, I've got four teams here. Four teams that were ranked yesterday in the AP preseason poll that I think by the end of the year not only aren't going to be in the top 25, might be a 500 team or worse. Last year, the last three years, I should say, there have been at least four that finished 500 or worse. In 2018, there were six of these teams, Sawyer. Last season, it was LSU, Penn State, Michigan, and Tennessee, all ranked in the preseason poll, closed the year 500 or worse at the end of the regular season. Let's start with the Indiana Hoosiers. I hate to do this. Coach Allen is a great story and seems to be a great guy, and Indiana was a lot of fun to follow last year. Ranked 17th in the preseason poll, I think last year was a fluke. Consider this. Before last season, Sawyer, the last time Indiana had a season with fewer than five losses, 1993. A lot of those games, they caught great breaks in. I thought the quarterback, Penix, who's coming back, was down in overtime against the the Nittany Lions. That was a classic game, a classic image from last year. They got the break, though. They won the game. Michigan was just next-level bad, and I struggled to think the pandemic didn't play a role in that. So you caught Michigan at the absolute perfect time, too. This year, it's going to be different. You're at Iowa. You're at Happy Valley. You're in Ann Arbor. Plus, you play Cincinnati out of conference, who's ranked in the top 10 preseason. Let's not forget that they have Ohio State each year, too. That's an unbelievably difficult schedule. We're talking about Indiana football here. That's a 6-6 football team. Texas is up next. How the bleep is Texas in the preseason top 25? I know last year they kind of crept in at the end of the season. It wasn't good enough to keep Tom Herman's job. Expectations are just so great in Austin that it wasn't enough for Herman. You got Sark coming in, but it's not just Herman that you have to replace. Sam Ellinger is no longer there anymore, who's been at Texas forever. And that's just a really, really large leap to make to think Texas is going to be good. They're preseason number 21. Their opener's not a gimme. The fighting Jake DeLomes of Louisiana Lafayette are going to play in Austin in the opener. Would it stun me if Louisiana won that game? 
Absolutely not. You're not going to beat Oklahoma. You're at Iowa State. Everybody in the Big 12 is pissed off at Texas right now because they're set to leave the Big 12 and they can't beat Oklahoma. I don't believe it with Texas. Give me a reason I should believe it with Texas that we've seen since Mac Brown left. There isn't any. Texas is one of the AP preseason frauds. I've talked about Miami quite a bit. They're the third team. Exposed by Carolina. The only rate team they beat last year when they played them was Louisville. The De'Eric King injury still concerns me. They are losing Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche on the D-line. And you've got a brutal schedule starting with Alabama, followed by Appalachian State and Michigan State. Plus, you have to go to Pitt, to North Carolina. I'm forgetting one. To Florida State, and their cross-division opponent is NC State. Brutal schedule. I just don't think Miami's that good. And the last team out of the four AP preseason frauds I'm pointing out the day after the poll comes out. This one might be the biggest stretch. This is the one I feel the least confident about, Sawyer. It's also the highest ranked team I'm giving out here. The Florida Gators. Florida, 13th in the AP poll. I'm concerned that they only have 10 starters coming back. And... I think the bowl game was telling. I know Kyle Pitts opted out. He didn't He didn't play in the bowl game. He decided he was going to declare for the draft. He wasn't going to play in the bowl, which has become commonplace. I forget who else decided they weren't going to play. Maybe Tony, who was a first-round pick. Kyle Trask did play in that game, and they got drilled. Now you got to replace Pitts, Trask, and Tony, and play in the SEC? Good luck with that. This schedule, it's unbelievable the bad breaks you get at times in the SEC. Across the division, they have to play Alabama this year. You got LSU, and the game's going to be in Baton Rouge. That's not weird, though. And... You got Georgia, of course. I can't call it the world's largest cocktail party for some reason, even though I just did. Kentucky's going to be in contention in the East. That game's going to be played in Lexington. Watch out for Coach Stoops. Florida's the team I'm taking a flyer on here. I wanted to get the four. I feel really good about Indiana, Texas, and Miami being frauds. Florida's the team I have a lot of questions about, and I'm just going to lump them into this group. I didn't want to do it with Notre Dame, even though I thought about it. They only have nine starters coming back. But, Sawyer, that's the group of AP preseason frauds I saw in yesterday's preseason poll. On Twitter, at WSJS Sports, last call for phone calls at 336-777-1600 be in the number. Summer League ends tonight. Don't cry because it's over, but just be happy that it happened, Sawyer. I did not watch a single minute of Summer League. I'm not proud. I'm not 
boasting. I'm not sticking out my chest saying, celebrate my ignorance. I'm just telling you. Been a lot of other stuff happening the last few weeks. This Wyndham Championship was a lot of fun. Sorry for blowing you off this weekend, by the way. Forgot to mention that. You said you wanted to hang out at uh, Sedgefield, and I don't think I hit you up. Josh, it's fine. Look, it's not a big deal. I've known you long enough to know that. You ego me every now and then, and that's okay. I what you? You ego me. Have you never heard of that saying? Is ego somebody the same as uh, big league somebody? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I big leagued you, Sawyer. My apologies for egoing you. Sheesh. Sheesh. You got quite a bit of facial hair going on right now. I know this has been a point of contention where you had this beard and then you decided to cut it. Did you ever cut it to a mustache? I did for a night. And then okay. I also just trimmed it last night. I took about half of it off. So this You didn't is do handlebars? Now. No, no, no. I, You've got to at least try the handlebars. That would be a hit. See, you're on Twitch. We could find you at SaulJTV. I'm sure some folks from the show are watching your, your Twitch stream. Are they some fans today. of the handlebar mustache? I could... I, they probably are fans of the handlebar mustache. What's wrong with the handlebar mustache? I just can't do it. My, my facial hair, the right there where it connects, it just isn't strong enough to do it yet. It doesn't have to be a strong bar. Oh, yeah. No, it has to be. Or then it looks like you're trying way too hard. You got to have it just full, not even a glimpse of skin underneath the beard. Nothing. Nothing. I'm not a woman. And I am not attracted to men. But (laughs) I feel like if I were a woman or if I were attracted to men, there's nothing more attractive out there than a guy wearing... A an American flag t-shirt with a with a handlebar mustache and maybe a camouflage hat. And pants. He has to have the camouflage jeans. Pants hat. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Jeans. Jeans. Absolutely. Boots on? Like work boots? No. Either Tim's or cowboy <laughs> boots. Okay. Those are the options. Or you can wear the Birkenstocks, have a little bit of toe action. Whoa, that's a little extreme. I, I don't think it's extreme. 336-777-1600. Yeah, tell us about your ideal guys. Yeah! <laughs> See, I always enjoy playing this game since this is an audio format and we're not streaming video or anything. There are people listening to this that don't have Twitter and I haven't met them in person in the triad, so they have no idea what I look like. So from time to time we play the game, call in and tell me what you think I look like. And you'd be amazed how this goes sometimes. People that haven't seen me before, haven't Googled anything like that, they'll call in, I have no idea what you look like, I'm going to take a stab at it. Most of the time it's like greased back hair, always skinny jeans included. People just assume that I wear skinny jeans. That comes off in my voice. Nobody thinks I'm from the South or grew up here, even though I did. You don't hear it in my voice. I don't imagine skinny jeans whatsoever, but I am biased, I guess, but I don't see skinny jeans. Yeah, we know each other. 
Yeah, but like I'm trying You're like to just the like, first person I ever did radio with here in the triad three years ago. I'm trying to just take your image out of my head and just strictly base it off the voice, and I just don't get skinny jeans. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been in here. You haven't been in here since the three-year anniversary. Yeah. We are, I don't know if you know this, Sawyer, but we are the longest-running local sports radio show in the history of the triad. Well, triad, you can thank me. You're welcome. Sawyer, if it wasn't for him turning the dials that one day three years ago, me being terrified that some 19-year-old kid was the one doing so, who knows? We're probably not here today. I think even 18 in that that year. You, no, if no, you, you're right, 19, 19. Yeah, I forgot yeah. I'm 22. I thought I was 21. Oh, you're in your Taylor Swift year. Yeah, I am. That's what we call it. Do we do that for every year? Like, are there years that we don't do that for? You got your Jordan year next year, right? See, I'm 28, so this is my... Find <laughs> <laughs> some absurd player with the number yeah. 28. Uh, what year? What what player am I? I'll look, and I'll give you a random one. It's my work done year? <laughs> is that the best we can do? NBA players don't wear that number. <laughs> that is not an NBA number. I'm in my <laughs> I'm in my Adrian Peterson year. Oh, yeah, I'm in my AP year. That's right. I'm in my Mike Davis year. Yep. I'm in my Marshall Falk year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm in my Marshall Falk year. Is that better than AP? Yeah, considering what AP did to children, his own children around 10 years ago, maybe it is better we go Marshall Falk. No, this is a good one. I'm in my Leandro Barbosa year. (laughs) The 2007 (laughs) Sixth Man of the Year. That's, That's the year I'm in. You are wait. Am I in my Barbosa year or you're in you're your in Barbosa, your Barbosa year? I, I'm in my Barbosa year. Yeah. Okay, that's right. I'm usually kind of self-conscious telling people how old I am, but I'm in my Barbosa year. So I'm in my Jimmy Butler year. You know, Yolo. Yeah. Sheesh. Sheesh. <laughs>